Hello, and thank you for listening to Around Grandfather Fire. This is James, and I just wanted to drop in really quick to let you know that we're going to bring you an archived episode tonight of our old show, The Jaguar and the Owl. Uh, Sarenth and I are working on some new episodes, but given that this is Thanksgiving weekend coming up here in the United States, we thought we would bring you an older show, uh, episode 29 of The Jaguar and the Owl, where we talk about honoring the ancestors. And we're going to drop two different podcasts into your podcast feed tonight, and this will be the first one of those two The image that you're going to see coming through with this particular episode is one of our own personal ancestor altars here in my home. It's the first one that we set up when we moved into an ancestral home facing towards the west, and I just wanted to share that with you all. So this is the first episode of Two Dropping Tonight, an archived episode of The Jaguar and the Owl, episode number 29, here on Around Grandfather Fire.
children falling from the grace of sunlight until cold and dark deepening into the earth seeped into our skins all winter. Hard, damp dirt. Our seeds crack just then. We begin clawing mud, ice, and death to reclaim the spring once again. We are the children. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Jaguar and the Owl, coming to you from The Wandering Owl in Jackson, Michigan. I am your host, James Stovall, known to some as Two Snakes and to others as Shaman Jim, and I am joined tonight uh, by my good friend and co-host, Sarah Thodenson. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing tonight? Hello, I'm doing well, thank you. Well, everybody, we've got kind of an unusual show tonight in the sense that we have no big agenda to speak of, which is kind of interesting. It's been a few weeks since we've had an episode where we just kind of talked about whatever was on our mind and whatever was coming through for us. And Sarah and I had a little bit of a chance to sit down Saturday and kind of plant some seeds, some germinate some seeds of conversation. And we'll see uh, what fruit we uh, can harvest from those seeds this afternoon. The opening poem, actually, was from a Mongolian-born poet. Uh, Her name is Michelle Chulun. I found that on PoetrySoup.com, and I just kind of liked that one. I thought, wow, that really felt awesome. So I kind of went and rolled with it. Really resonates with the time of year we're in. Yeah, I know it, right? You know, it's... um, one of the things that we wanted to accomplish tonight's show was kind of not going the usual course because Sarenth and I, we talk about the dead and the ancestors and that so frequently that we were worried that especially uh, this show, this time of year, you know, uh, the week of Samhain, that we were going to overwhelm everybody with all of our usual talk. So we decided to kind of freeform this one a little bit. Although that's that's not to say that the topic won't come up, that's for sure. But, yeah, you know how it is. Um, Shamans and ancestors are shocked. Yeah, really, right? Big, huge shock. But one thing that I think... Um, well, before that, let me, let me back up a little bit here. Um, I do want to say that I, uh, a thank you to everybody that came out to the powwow here in Jackson uh, last week, uh, Falling Waters powwow. It was a good turnout for a first year returning. I wasn't able to go, but my mother went. She used my tickets, and she gave me the, the rundown, and it was uh, pretty well attended. The vendors were nice. There was a decent amount of them. The, uh, the grand endurance was really nice, and so I'm hoping that that momentum sticks with them, and they'll be able to keep doing those powwows on an annual basis again. And I just kind of wanted to give a, a shout-out of thanks to everybody who went or looked them up online or shared the news on Facebook or, or however you did it to kind of get the word out there. There was a lot of people that were passing around flyers and everything else, and it's really appreciated. I'd like to see that powwow continue to go and to grow. It's a, it's a nice one. And uh, so I just wanted to say thank you to everybody for that. Also... I want to give a shout out there to thewanderingowl.com, our store. My wife and I run here in Jackson, Michigan. We're always bringing in new items and adding things to the website. You can check us out at thewanderingowl.com. You can find us on Facebook, or you can follow me, Jim at the Owl, on Twitter. So that's kind of a good place. I'm trying to post more about different uh, sales and readers and stuff that we have in. And Sarenth, why don't you give your blog and your Twitter feed a plug as well? So I am at Sarenth on uh, Twitter. My blog is sarenth.wordpress.com, S-A-R-E-N-T-H, uh, .wordpress.com. Um, my email is sarenth at gmail.com. So if you've got a question or if you have a comment, feel free to email me as well. Yeah, we really like comments, too. If you guys have a specific question that you'd like to ask us, a book that you'd like to review, maybe you're an author and you'd like to be on the show, you'd like to have us review your article, your book, or something, we'd be glad to talk to you because that's kind of how we bring in new information for everybody else. And, you know, as you heard a couple shows ago with the question about the barrows, 
it's really nice to have a question because once we have a topic like that, we can really kind of uh, chew on it for a while and get a lot of good information out of it. So. Oh, yeah. It gives us something really good to sink our teeth into. So if you have a question, please, please, by all means, there is no such thing as a stupid question. Yeah, exactly. Because we, you know, we all started someplace and I am mm-hmm. – constantly impressed with how little I know and I have to go out and seek it out from other people and, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, talk to other people and find out just the things that I don't know and that way I can add that to, to my knowledge which then usually reveals more new things that I don't know so that's just the, kind of the way it goes so there is, no, there is no stupid question you might be just getting started with this you might be having friends or family give you some information maybe you've had a uh, an old ancestor spirit show up here around this time of year and they they want to talk and if you want to know what do i do next that's a valid question so go ahead and you know send those questions in we really like to have them yeah and and just as a friendlier reminder from your ancestor worker here the <laughs> the show um you know don't forget your ancestors the rest of the year you know, we both work with our ancestors throughout the year. I think it's it's a good deep practice to develop throughout the year. It's not just for the the dark times. It's you know celebrate it in the dark and the light. So, just kind of passing that message on from them. <laughs> yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. It's an infectious practice. Once you start it, you can't, uh, you don't really know what you did without it. Yeah, I, I think that. It's a lot of practice like that in, sh- in shamanic practice in general. You know, once you start inviting the spirits into your life, they're like, okay, well, we're just going to take a residence <laughs> and move right on in then. Um, it, it's it's a really hard door to shut. And, uh, you know, as long as I'm thinking about things, I, I want to um... – I kind of want to start with something that we brought up on Saturday because this uh, reminds me of areas where we don't know things, um, or at least uh, for me, let me uh, think of how to phrase this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes talking to other people illustrates holes in your knowledge, and let me let me illustrate that a little bit. And I want to talk about it just because I think other people might be going through it as well. For myself. Lately, the spirits have been fairly quiet. I get the occasional request or the occasional message, but nothing really dramatic has been going on. And I, you know, those those periods happen, so I don't worry about it. I don't panic about it. I, I'll reassess my personal work. I'll see what I might be able to do to to solidify things. I'll, I'll make sure that I have cleansed well and banished and done all the usual. And, and I had done that. I've gone through that process and still everything was fairly quiet. And I found that to be a little mysterious because getting so close to Samhain, so close to the 30, 31st where the, the veils are thin and, and uh, Day of the Dead and that, that sort of thing is usually a time when I have a lot of activity. So I found it a little bit mysterious. And I I mentioned quite casually that I have been really tired lately, that I can sleep and sleep and sleep and wake up exhausted. And and for some real weird reason that I I wasn't able to quite understand, um, I was only finding a decent amount of rest, not even really good rest, but a decent amount of rest when the television or radio or something was on in my room to distract me. I found that a little bit strange. And I happen to mention that just as a very aside comment. And that's when Sarenth kind of said, oh, same thing is happening to me. And I I thought that was pretty interesting. We quickly, there was another uh, person on a shamanic path that was sitting there with Mm -hmm. us. She said, I'm experiencing the same thing. So quickly we went, oh, wait a minute. Started sending out text messages. (laughs) <laughs> Two and, people's coincidence. Yeah, yeah, we rapidly started getting responses that, yes, the same thing is happening to me. And so we started thinking about it, talking to other shaman, and that's the value of talking to each other, realized that a lot of us are doing a huge amount of dream work this year. Um, in my case, it tends to be more combative. The, the dreams I do recall... Um, there's a lot of struggling and fighting and combating against other things and um, uh, 
dream law enforcement, I guess maybe you'd put it. It's it's very strange to run around and try to, to in a dream state, capture people who are doing things uh, of an of a ill intent. And then it tied together to me with the television, the radio, and stuff in the background, because that was the background noise that was keeping me from entering too deep a sleep where I could do that shamanic work. So it was a catch-22. If I slept without any sort of background noise, then I was getting uh, into a deep sleep, and I'm doing all the shamanic work, and I'm waking up absolutely exhausted, where if I sleep with a distraction, I'm still tired because I'm not getting the right REM sleep, but I'm not as exhausted. And, uh, Sarah, I believe you were experiencing something very similar. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I, I've been whipped for a while, and it's it, there's not been any really huge, huge stressors in my life to necessitate being this whipped all the time. Um, you know, it, And once you get to a point of, you know, this is how my blood sugar is when I'm high, when I'm low. This is what I feel like when I'm high, when I'm low. Once you get to a point of where you, as far as me being a diabetic, you know, you understand those extremes and what your body feels like. And this wasn't a diabetic body ache. This wasn't a, okay, this, I need to go take a rest because my blood sugar is so high, yada, yada. This was, this was something different. And I'm still trying to figure my thing out here. Um, I'm I'm thinking probably some divination is probably in order at this point because I'm not I'm not used to my circadian rhythms being thrown off this much for this long. It usually takes me a day or two just because of how I've had to work the last year. And it's very odd for me to be this seesaw with my sleep schedule. Like yesterday I slept the whole day. I felt terrible. And then I knocked out and now I feel great. And I've I'm still after uh, probably an hour, mm, not quite to 24, but I'm getting closer to it. <laughs> and I am very awake, and it's very odd. I am not like this usually. So I'm, <laughs> I'll, I'll be good for once this cycle gets over, but I'm still trying to figure out quite what it's all about. I'm, I'm starting to think it, it has something to do with the, the military dead and the warrior dead, which I'm going to be uh, doing a month-long honoring for in November. Uh, alongside my elder Galina Kraskova, I think it also might have something to do with the dream work as well. And it might be connected in that regard. Yeah, it very well could be. I mean, this stuff is often related. And, you know, now that when I was listening to you speak, I, I started to realize that uh, oh, over a month ago now, I started picking up and doing more owl medicine work where I was awake, wide awake when I should have been oh. sleeping and tired when I was awake. And But I think that ties into it as well. It's funny because I think the, the lesson that I'm I'm getting out of this as I, as I think about it and I say I listen to you it may be an important lesson for people listening is that shamanic work is not always the same thing all the time. And, you know, I, I've talked about before how I think maybe journey work is overemphasized in some texts. But mm -hmm. there might be time when there's journey work is really intensive and you need to do it frequently. But that's not, no matter what you're doing, that isn't the sum and whole of all that you can do with shamanism. And so maybe you're going to go through cycles where it's a lot of dream work or a lot of singing work, a lot of dance work, a lot of... You know, there's all kinds of ways that the shamanic work can express itself and that we should mm -hmm. always be aware that just how, because that's how the interaction with the spirits has been for you for a while doesn't mean that's always how it's going to be. No, exactly so. I, I hasten to point, point out that um, my own elder and I do not have the same experiences and shouldn't. Um, and I put that shouldn't there with a deep amount of intent <laughs> I can't have the same relationship that she does with Odin. I can't have the same relationship that you do with Odin. I can't have the same relationship that Joe Heathen does with Odin. I'm not Joe Heathen. Mm -hmm. And so to me, this notion that we should be like one another is pretty goofy on its face because if we can't have the same relationship with even people, let alone spirits. It, it seems a bit remarkable that people would think that we can do that with gods. 
right. or, or with even our, our paths even. Um, even people who are on very similar paths, and my path is in many ways similar to my elders, um, we're going about doing the honoring for the warrior dead differently from one another, even if we're doing roughly the same thing. Um, so to my mind, this, this false idea of it has to look exactly like is, is a very poisonous one actually. And it stifles a lot of contact and ability for the spirits to come into your life in a way that is dynamic and useful to you and makes you useful to them. Mm-hmm. Well, not even saying that they all all the encounters have to be alike. No. But have you ever no. had have you ever had circumstance where your work took a, a sudden left or a right turn, where something that was very scholarly, for example, something that was very deep into study, all of a sudden became a thing about singing or dancing? Oh yeah, when I when I first got on the the shamanic path, I was coming off of it from a very academic perspective. I cracked books. I Crack books again. I crack books till the spine's blood. Um, the the challenge of spirit work is that it will change you, and you have to let it, and you have to get out of the way of whatever it's trying to work with you on. That is really hard, and I, I feel for anybody whose spirit work takes a sudden, drastic left turn at Albuquerque, having come out of ceremonial magic into um, shamanism from a very this is how the ritual goes. This is how the things proceed. This is how the to, you know, maybe you need to dance today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going from a very regimented to a very not regimented practice threw me for a loop. And it's okay. It is okay to have an adjustment period. And you probably should. Because <laughs> it, it's hard, especially when you're seesawing from something that um, laid out to something that you have to take on faith a lot of times. Right. Yeah, I, I guess dance seems to be on my mind a lot, probably from my uh, interview mm-hmm. last show with Dawn Dancing Otter and just how she got sick until she rediscovered that. But, you know, the the dreaming that I'm going through comes into it because there's been periods of time in my past where dreaming was a very large part of my path. And then there's times when it's virtually nothing at all. And it's it's interesting, those cycles that we go through in 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 the growth and change process. Yeah. Um, when I first began working with the, the military and warrior dead, one of the key things that keyed me into working with them wasn't just visiting their graves. It was learning dancing from them. And that, you know, until my elder helped me figure out what the hell this was about, it was really weird for me because I'm like, what the Sam Hill? <laughs> I mean, I, I linked dancing tangentially together with my martial arts experience, but it was just this tangential thing. It wasn't like, as I came to understand it later, this big, beautiful gift I was being handed. I I didn't know what to do with it. It threw me for a loop, but I was just I I had a time there where I'm like, well, what the hell do I do with this? And the the process of figuring that out even of having to come back and go okay could you go over the moves again with me like you said with the constantly uh having times in your life where you're coming back to journey work again and again and again sometimes you're going to have practices where you're going to just do them until the left sticks mm-hmm. <laughs> that can be really trying especially when it's you're, you're sitting there in front of a grave and you're doing trance work and it's draining and you're asked to do it multiple times at a stretch until you get it exactly right the way the spirits want you to do um kind of taking off from dancing otters uh experience there because there was a there was a practice with the warrior dead that i didn't get until that clicked and there was a a piece of the puzzle in my spirit work even that that until i started learning oh this is how dance connects to this and and the alignment of all these different dots into a cohesive pattern and not just a random smattering on a page and going through that process of figuring out the pattern as opposed to just the dots mm-hmm. was, was itself a growing experience and sometimes learning to set back and say, Oh, this is actually a pattern. This is not just random stuff happening is, is also a challenge. Right. Or allowing yourself the um, freedom to be a fool sometimes to not know what the heck is going on, but just know it's something that you need to do. 
oh, if you don't allow yourself to freedom to be a fool, you're going to have a really hard time in this path. <laughs> I think one of the characteristics of being a shaman is is being willing to fall on your face somewhat frequently. Um, <laughs> being willing to dust yourself up and get up and dance again. <laughs> to sit up like a cat and lick your paw and look around and see who caught you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It, it doesn't look like a mistake when you make it look natural. That's right. Yeah, so I, I found it pretty interesting. So I've been looking up, uh, you know, I, I had some information on stones that were useful in dream work and dream recall. And one of the major things that I did upon the realization on Saturday is I went home and uh, I've got a collection of feathers that I have above my head when I sleep. And they're all feathers that were gifted to me and they're for dream work. And uh, so I went home and fed them with cornmeal and thanked them for their help and uh, asked them to make sure to continue to keep me safe and protected as I do this dream work and uh, think about journaling a little bit more, all that stuff that, you know, it's funny because you you do all this uh, regimented work for a while, you know, like if you know you're doing dream work and you want to keep a journal and you want to do this, you want to do that, and and there's certain things that you want to do, and you can fall out of that practice pretty easily when other things crop up. You spend some period of time where all it's all about fire ceremonies and that's all you're doing and all of a sudden your dream practices have lapsed so you have to do the occasional re-evaluation of what you're doing. Yeah, um, when I first started working with uh, the runes, I had a very regimented, this is journal in such and such a way. And as I got deeper into the practice, it, it kind of fell away I, I think that part of the challenge too is that um it's kind of this push and pull that you have with yourself and your practice um being willing to come to a point of, of stasis because if you're if you're working so intense because it, it takes a lot of work to keep up mm-hmm. uh, it, to keep up at that pace of okay i am doing a fire ceremony at x date x time x moon phase yada yada um, I mean, even when your entire practice is about that, when I was doing this in ceremonial magic and noting the date and the time and the uh, too many correspondences, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it can get really tiring. I think what I think though, on the other flip side is the worst thing is, is when you're trying to get back into a habit that you know works and oh, you've right. fallen out of it. Oh my God. Oh, you're right. That gods. is hard. You are right about that. Like when I fell out of my daily cleansings, even this last, this, I mean, even, even relatively recently, I, I fell out of doing my cleansings on an on every single day basis and I fell out of doing it. And it's like, Oh, getting back into that is, it takes like 10, 15 minutes of your time, but dear God, trying to remember that. <laughs> or even, <laughs> you know, one that gets, got pointed out to me when I was uh, training my, my mentor would occasionally, remind me that I needed to do things um, to either reward myself and or to change the visualization in order to keep it interesting because oh yeah the way I'm wired boredom's a major factor and if it if, if even the best practice for me the best daily practice in the world becomes too uh, too monotonous then it won't get done so i have to remind myself to freshen up my techniques and and my visualizations and that once in a while in order to keep them interesting or else it's very difficult to keep on track it's rough because you'll get to this point of where you'll get comfy with a practice but that's where the danger lurks is that are you so comfy with it that it becomes blasé and when it becomes blasé is it still effective right And even I'm pushing myself because uh, I don't know if you saw the advertisements on the Wandering Owl page or anything, but Andrea Vitimus is doing a aviastic shapeshifter course, which, um, you know, is a lot about the reshaping of your energy body and of your expectations. And I thought, you know, I haven't pushed myself in a little while. Let's sign up for this. Let's do this. It's one of his 30 days of magic thing where there'll be a new thing to do every single day to really push myself. And, you know, I think all of us have to occasionally do that, even... You know, even the most talented or renowned people that I know are always looking to push themselves in a new direction or try something new. Yeah, I I agree. I actually see a parallel um, with that in my poetry work. Uh, this last July, I didn't do a month 
uh, for Loki. For the year previous, every time that there came up um, in conversation, hey, let's do a, a devotional poetry to this Norse or uh, German god or goddess, I, was, I jumped on top of that. I was all over it. And this year it was like, I got nothing, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's not for lack of trying. I, mm-hmm. I think I think the the we we need to challenge ourselves within our own frameworks to keep ourselves fresh. We also need to be very careful that we're not eating all of that freshness, it, it to just keep a fire burning for the sake of having a fire. Yeah, right. I right. think that there needs to be it, it, not poo pooing what you're doing at all. I think that's great. I think that. Uh, pacing is is of utmost importance. You've reached a point in, in your life where you're like, yeah, I could use a fire under my butt. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can look around and and uh, you know, you, part of this path, another difficult part, is trying to be honest with yourself and and mm-hmm. uh, knowing who you are as a person. And every once in a while, you know, you can if you know yourself well, you can assess where you're at well and decide when's a good time to push and when's a good time to coast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, yeah, coming back to that idea of pacing, of pacing yourself, you know, if you break an arm during practice, it's not going to do you any good in the field. Mm-hmm. But if you don't push that arm, it's not going to be of any use in the field when you get there. Yeah, exactly. Well, believe it or not, I think we're already on time for a commercial break. So if you good listeners will stick with us, we're going to take a quick break a couple commercials here and we will be right back ghost hunters case log 451 the time thursday 8 p.m okay we're going to start an evp session is there anyone out there can you repeat that I really need you to try to project louder and slower so we can all hear. The Black Cat Lounge. That's right, gang. Listen in. The Black Cat Lounge every Thursday night, 8 o'clock on Para X. (laughs) Happy anniversary, Rev. Six years and still seeking answers, and they said it wouldn't last. Yeah, what do they know? Bupkiss, what do you know? I know when to shut up and let you do your thing with our listeners, like dream interpretation, astrology, spirituality, numerology, and sometimes palmistry on the radio. Some people say I'm eclectic. Some call me esoteric. I prefer to think of myself as spiritually OCD. That's what makes you, you. I'm a drummer, by the way. Can I sleep on your couch? Anytime, except Thursdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time on para-x.com. Welcome back to the Jaguar and the Owl. Uh, We had a really good conversation a few minutes ago about dream work, and I kind of want to flip that over. I want to start a little bit of a new conversation here because, um, Sarenth, you said something which really resonated with me, and I'm not sure I've actually heard it phrased so succinctly, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit. You used a phrase... On Saturday, you said all shamanism is local, and I really kind of like that. All shamanism is local, and I really started to think and process that a little bit in regards to the fact that you and I are using traditions that come from other parts of the world, and even though you've got a genetic link to to the Germanic practices on on one side, that's still something that's removed from you from a great distance, and... Um, but yeah, we've both been concentrating and working on bringing our practices in and understanding that from a local perspective. And I really thought that was a great way of phrasing it. You need to write down some of these quotes because that sounds fantastically smart. I know. You sounded so <laughs> wise there. Look at that. You better write a book. Yeah, if I could remember what the hell I said. <laughs> no, uh, I, I really like that idea of shamanism is local because it really, really is. It has to be. You, I mean, you can do remote healing, and that's that's one thing. I mean, that's that's more like a service. It's, mm-hmm. but it's not the daily work. It's not the daily practice. It's your. It's not the lawnvatier living with you in that regard. Mm-hmm. They might they might be passing along the energy, but they're you know. You have you have to shamanize to borrow a, a horrible, 
what butchery term. You have to you, shamanize. You have to mm. you have to do your shaman work where you live at the mm. end of the day. And if you're if you're not engaging with the Lanvatir and the dead and the the beings around you, um I don't know what you're doing, but I would posit that it, it it might not be shamanism. <laughs> well, um, I mean, it, it made a lot of sense because here I am. I'm calling on the Afu, the the sacred mountains in Peru. Because right. That's how I was taught. But in the years since then, and I've talked about this before, I think as well. It's part mm-hmm. of my profile biography, anyway. Is that I'm learning how to use that same, uh, those same techniques in in the Great Lakes area and dealing mm-hmm. with my local Afu, which are the very deep. Great Lakes, and um, so that's you know, it just really resonated with me. Yeah. I can still call on those mountains, and they certainly will oh, yeah. respond. And and it goes same with gods or anything else, where they will respond to a distance doesn't seem to matter to them the same way it does to us. But yet at the same time, um, there's a certain level of hominess and familiarity and, and strength that comes from acting local with your practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Um. So when I when I say shamanism is local, I, I think that one of the things that needs to be taken into account, like we're coming into, like I have to kind of go back to the holiday thing. We're coming into Samhain right now, or yeah. winter nights for Alpha Bloat. Um, and so with that reckoning of the year, it shifts depending on your, your local harvests. Because it wasn't like the Germans, the Celts had a set calendar date. That was more of a Roman thing. Right. Um, so the question that we've got to uh, kind of ask at this point is, is do our holidays, do our practices make sense within the context of where we live? If I was living in Australia, I wouldn't be celebrating, you know, Samhantide at this point. Um, so with that direct exact, you know, flipping of the wheel of the year, you know, looking at our own local practices, does it make sense to celebrate X and Y thing here or do Y and Z thing over here in contrast to where I live? Um, mm-hmm. if, I, if I was living in a desert, my practices would have to be terribly different. Um, luckily, I'm in, a, I'm in a zone where the seasons and, and the climate is very similar <laughs> to the home country. But, right. Um, It, it, if I was to try and, and just mimic, that would be all it would be. It'd be a mimicry instead of a practice. It'd be a, it'd be a mimicry instead of a living relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we have to get to in all of our practices is that in order to dig these roots deep down, we have to actually say, hey, Lanvatir, you know, this is a celebration we want to have. You know, is this okay with you guys? Does this make and ask ourselves, does this make sense? Does this practice here make sense? Right. The does it make sense part comes in too. Um, I'm trying to think about how to phrase this, and so I'm just going to go with it and, and see if you figure out where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Acting locally uh, still has a huge and deep, profound respect and deference to local traditions um so like i'm using peruvian traditions in the great lakes area now if i have someone who has um local native bloodlines and they show me how to do something that is a a a way of doing something boy how do i even phrase this if they're going to show me a technique, if they're going to show me a practice that originated with the people who lived in this area, I'm going to always try to give the utmost deference to that practice. And I'm going to try, in my mind, I might even value it higher than my practice, which comes from afar. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for me in the same way that it works for them. Does that, does that make sense? Do you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, actually it's funny you mentioned this PSVL on polytheist.com had a column on something like this, uh, in reference to Samantide and his own tradition, uh, with the Ecclesia Antonum, um, which worships the deified lover of, uh, the, uh, Emperor Hadrian. Um, mm-hmm. 
And his high holy day for when he was deified is uh, October the 30th uh, in this, I think it's a week-long festival. I apologize if I get this wrong, PSVL. Um, and this is uh, something that, that comes up um, on and off again. Because when you uh, approach this subject, oh, I'm getting away from myself here, Jim. <laughs> I had a point and I lost it. All right. Can we reset? That's okay. Well, instead of resetting, let, let me let me expound on my point a little bit more. Maybe yours will return to you. Yeah, please do. Okay. So, um, in the Peruvian traditions, as I was taught them. I am going to always receive a sacred object with my left hand and I'm going to pass it with my right. Now I know from some of the local people that I've interacted with that they will most often pass a sacred object, especially a very sacred gift with their left because that's the hand that would be closest to their heart. And so the point I was making about acting local, if we if we expand that out to a broader view and lots of other practices, would be it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm doing something uh, solely for myself and I'm getting good response out of mm-hmm. receiving with my left and handing with my right, that's what I'm going to do. But if I, I'm always going to be the the utmost awareness of who I'm interacting with, both physically and spiritually, and, and so I understand when the circumstance is right that I should when the circumstance is correct, <laughs> that I should be passing with my left hand. Does that make sense? So I'm acting, I'm mm. being aware of a global practice, acting locally, and still having a great level, uh, level of, of deference for local tradition. I'm doing all those things simultaneously. Okay, that's interesting, because I took that to a much more macro level, which is why I brought uh, PSVL's article in. Um, he mentions uh, that... Um, what M does in this regard is he celebrates, M celebrates two different holidays. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the group celebrates one and then E celebrates another. Um, so they, the group might celebrate the deification of, um, Antinous, but E and the group might also celebrate, uh, Samhain, but you, you don't celebrate it on top of one another. So I kind of, I kind of took your original okay. point, and I thought, oh, okay, and expanded it far, <laughs> far. No, no, far beyond. not celebrating on top of it. Uh, yeah. Celebrating them on top of each other, really, in in a way, is exactly the point I was making. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways. So here we are. You know, all shamanism is local, which mm-hmm. means I'm interacting with the local spirits. So, right. what? what comes out of my practice would be coca leaf offerings, right? Uh, But depending on what I'm offering to and what that spirit is or who I am with, if I am with somebody who of the local traditions always offers tobacco, then I'm going to defer to the offering of tobacco. So even though I'm keeping a more global level tradition because I've brought it, it's been brought so far for me, with much gratitude, thank you, but I'm acting in a local way. And and the only way I, if someone shows me that I'm always supposed to offer tobacco to a certain rock on a certain date, the only way I would probably switch back to offering coca is if I was not getting the right response Mm -hmm. from that spirit for the tobacco. Does that make sense? That makes a great deal more sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it pretty much is the same here. Um, the the only time where I would prefer my own tradition's offerings is when it's a spirit from my tradition and it's blatantly a spirit from my tradition. Um, mm-hmm. Right, sure, yes. I, I think that'd be my only difference, Is is, and I don't even think we're disagreeing on this regard, is that you know when you're offering to a Peruvian Apu as opposed to a Michiganian one, mm-hmm. there, there's a different protocol. Right, and I think that right. kind of with the shamanism is local. All relationships are individual, mm-hmm. and you know, what you might figure out, like, oh, I give coca leaf to this rock, whereas I have to give mugwort to this rock. Yeah, right, right. So local, local, really isn't 
just a matter of geographical location. It's a matter of closeness and what who you're close to and who you're interacting with. So that's another layer to that word local. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, that's where I think I was getting with this whole thing is in terms of where I was trying to stab in the general <laughs> is, um, Well, it's hard. I mean, that's why we that's why we have these shows and why we have such great conversations when we're together is because a lot of times we have to talk this stuff out to even kind of understand it ourselves. And even then, I'm willing to admit there's a lot of times where it's like, this is my practice until something says otherwise. Yes, yes. Because we have so many holes. So mm-hmm. many holes. And, and there's just some knowledge that we just don't have. And we're either going to have to be spirit taught or we're going to have to wing it. And that's okay. Right. Just so long as the spirits are happy with it. Yeah, because spirit taught adds an entire another program. Oh, my. There, you know, like if, if a local if a local sacred spot does interact with the local people in a, in a different way, then it might recognizing that I'm not part of their lineage or part of their bloodline. It might decide for me that your offerings are different right off the bat. Yeah. Especially when you find out, Oh, this is a very important rock or this is a very important place. And the spirits tell you one thing and the folklore or the, um, you know, local people tell you a whole different ball of wax mm-hmm. and that gets into a really sticky situation. And it's not really a who's right per se. It's, it's, if this is what the spirits are telling you, it's what the spirits are telling you. Right. Um, and then I think, I think in that situation is when you have to be, uh, gracious, very, and, and understanding and, and, uh, very communicative, uh, humble, <laughs> humble, humble before the people that have the, the traditions that, uh, you might be deviating from and be able to explain to them, this is why I'm doing this. This is what the spirit has told me. And that way they can come from a place of understanding where they know that you're not uh, appropriating or you're not just uh, dismissing their traditions. Right. Yeah. That's like I said, a very sticky situation. You got to be careful mm-hmm. because the last thing you want to be is inhospitable to their hosts. Right. Or vice versa as, right. a, as a guest. Oof. Yeah, because so many, I mean, you know, so many things really boil down to the, the, uh, are we being sympathetic and empathetic towards each other? And so when we get into situations like that where uh, uh, traditions differ, that's a big one. Are you being understanding? Are you being um, open with the the different things that are being brought to you? But all really important aspects of, of, Shamanism is local. I like that. It's a very profound statement. Thank you. You are going to have to write a book. <laughs> Gods. <laughs> well, it took me four years to get this one done. <laughs> yeah. Hey, actually, before we go too much further, would you take a second and talk about the book that you're working on? Sure. Um, Calling to the Ancestors is an anthology which has been written with a lot of different voices from a lot of different traditions. Um, myself... It started about, yeah, about four years ago when the ancestors said, hey, these devotional books are really cool. Um, Where's ours? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the only ancestor book at the time that I knew of was Weaving Memory by Laura Patsoris, which is a good book. And I I do recommend it. Um, Mine is a bit different. It's, It's not strictly an ancestor working book. It's a book of devotional poetry, uh, some songs. Uh, people's personal accounts, healing work, perspectives on ancestor work from a lot of different folks. Um, and like I said, it took me four years to, to get this thing together, and I, I have do thank you so much to, to Raven and Josh for helping put this book together into the final form it's, it's being seen in, and thank you to Shauna for the cover. This is a labor of love from a lot of different hands. A lot of different people explaining how they approach the ancestors to begin with, how they understand the ancestors, and praising their ancestors. So a lot of voices and a lot of blood and sweat and tears went into this book from a lot of different people. This is not just a a project for me. I am just the editor. I've submitted a few things, but that's it. This this book is a a community labor, and I, I really want to emphasize that. And part of the impetus for making the book was I wanted to put as many voices from different traditions in there as I could, because I think that, um, the diversity of 
how we approach the ancestors is as important that we approach the ancestors in the right respectful headspace and understand that there's a lot of different headspaces to approach that in. And so this book is an offering to them. So that, that sounds fantastic. It really does. And you know, when you were talking, I, boy, I hope this isn't why the, the uh, spirit told us to kind of ramble this show, but who knows, maybe it is. I had this, had another one of my, my brilliant flashes. Um, this is where you say, uh-oh, because yeah, uh-huh, this is usually uh-oh. where trouble starts, right? <laughs> No, I just had the idea that since we were talking about our Twitter feeds, and maybe this is something, if you are a listener of this show, and, and maybe we can expand this out and start telling other people about it through Facebook or whatever, I think it would be really amazing if on the 31st or the 1st and the 2nd, the, the three days that are really traditional for ancestor work, if we took at least one photo of a candle on our ancestor altar and did a hashtag honoring the ancestors and just sent them all out there. If there was like three days of photos coming out, that were all hashtag honoring the ancestors, all candles on ancestor altars. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be pretty cool. That would, I, I would, would love to see that. I'm going to do it. If anybody else wants to do it with me, let's do it. Let's get the word out there. That would be something that would be really phenomenal. I think, I think too, Let's take this idea a step further. Don't just do this for um, the Sound Tide or for Alpha Bloat or Winter Nights. Um, November, we're honoring military dead. It's the 100th anniversary of World War I. Hmm. If you've got military dead in your family, honor them. Honor them. Put, a, put something out. Even if it's, it's you know, uh, Flanders Field, you don't have to be a poet. Put something out for them. And put it out there publicly, because mm-hmm. they deserve that honor. Oh, that's a brilliant! I like that. I like that. All right, everybody. All right, listeners. You got a challenge. Let's see it. <laughs> Let's get it out there. Let's spread the word. I don't know. Why not? Right? Hey, it's the least we can do. That's right. And that's right. I think that each of us honoring our ancestors from our own traditions is a really powerful message. Not only. Are we here, but we're honoring all that you did to bring us forth. And we're honoring who you were, what you are, to us and to your generations. And I I think that keeping that flame alive, metaphorically and physically, is a deeply important Mm -hmm. thing. Um, A lot of people are forgotten. So... For the listeners who are out there, for for the various people who have us queued up on iTunes when you hear this, don't just leave it for Salentide, Alpha Bloat, Winter Nights. Don't just leave it for your harvest holidays. Do it through the year. Do it in the important times, too. Let November be a time where we remember our military dead. Let December be a time when we remember our past grandmothers and Desir, the grandmothers. Let the Januaries would be the time where we remember when our families came together the closest. You know, if nothing else, you know, giving yourself that challenge alone <laughs> should keep you for a while. Yeah, right. So we've created a new hashtag, honoring the ancestors. Let's do it that way. I don't want if we do it honoring yep. our ancestors. I think that follow that that might follow up with a, a TV show or something. So yeah. honoring the ancestors. Honoring the ancestors. That's ancestors. hashtag honoring the ancestors. I like it. There we go. And you know what? This has a unique thing about it too Sarah do you realize what that is mm. I've come up with an idea that doesn't specifically throw you under the bus isn't that great <laughs> this is a first. I, need, I need to mark this on the calendar this is a first write it down right hey, well we've, we've got a few minutes left here um, thinking about the, the dead I want to throw out there the, uh, the puzzler that I came up with on Saturday that's been that we had us both kind of scratching our heads and wondering because we don't have an answer to this one yet. So I'm going to throw it out there for the listeners to think about too. I was reading a book about Inca mythology. Hmm. And one of the things about the Inca tradition is how many ancestors, um, they came from springs and they came from lakes. And a lot of times a spring or a lake can be considered your original ancestor. And a lot of times when someone died or passed away, they literally became a stone. Now we can look at that from the aspect of 
perhaps they died someplace and a stone was placed there, or maybe they died near a stone, or maybe their spirit went to a stone when they passed away. And that led me to the question, how do we know when we're going to a graveyard how often that we're dealing with the deceased ancestor and how often we're actually dealing with the stone, the headstone itself. Because if someone is buried under a stone and their name is carved into it, is it a matter of part of their spirit remaining there or is it a matter of sometimes the spirit of the stone takes in part, at least, the form of that ancestor. And so we both admit, I, I admit we both sat there and kind of scratched our heads and thought about that for a little bit and came up with absolutely no conclusions whatsoever. But I want to throw that out there to the listeners. Have you had any more thoughts on that matter, Sarah? You are going to make people's brains explode with this. <laughs> I'm just saying, because I, I got off talking with you about this, and I puzzled this. And the other things we talked about the whole way home, and I still didn't have an answer. And that was an hour-long car trip. <laughs> I still don't have a solid answer because the thing I is, still is don't either. the breakdown between the dead and the lawnvetir gets kind of messy, especially when you're talking about pheromones, which is, you know, pretty, pretty important. At what point does the gravestone itself become, you know imbued with the essence does it become imbued with the essence does the whole soul pass on what parts stay here i mean you've got uh, there's depending on how you look at the norse um soul matrix you can have you know five to 17 different parts mm-hmm. so what parts are shed after death and what parts stick around and what parts become part of the lawn this year is is really up for a lot of debate and I, I'm more than happy to have that debate. So if people have questions or, or thoughts or comments on that, please email us because that, that would be awesome. Yeah, I'd like to hear your experiences and what you think about that question. And, it, you know, it's it, I sat and puzzled it a while, too, and I was thinking about how people are fascinated with gravestones. And mm-hmm. It's not even just the graves. It's the stone themse- stones themselves that people are fascinated with. And I thought, well, how does that play in there? How does that factor mm-hmm. into the whole discussion? And it's one that I'm going to have a lot of fun exploring. I'm, I'm getting ready when I leave here tonight. Amongst other tasks I have to do is getting some things ready for some of the local graveyards that I tend and I'm going to be very conscious of, of talking to some of those headstones and statues and paying attention to where I'm compelled to put the offerings. Is it on the ground near the grave or is it the stone itself and, and how that factors in? And if I have any great insights, yeah, maybe you'll have to wait for my book. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I just think that it's an interesting question and I'd like to hear everybody's uh, thoughts on that one. Here's, here's another thought down that line. Does it make it easier or harder for us to hear the stone spirit if you can read the person's name on the headstone? Oh, right. Yeah, because in some of those wore-down headstones were yeah. there for so long that the weather has eroded away the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, or maybe yeah. our friend Brian over there in, in Europe has some thoughts when he's been interacting with the Barrows on on this whole subject that might be yes. interesting as well please get a hold of us and let us know how that goes because <laughs> that was so cool that was so cool you got a hold of us thank you well with that i think we can safely wrap up another hour of the jaguar and the owl and thank you sarinth for joining me as always, always thank a you. great conversation it's amazing we can just seems like we can go on for hours quite easily but time says that we need to go so Thank you, everybody, for listening to us tonight, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts in emails or the comment sections of the Jaguar and the Owl website or via Twitter or however you get to them, and we will be looking for the Honor the Ancestors hashtags over the the next week or so. So with that, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to the gods, the ancestors, and the spirits. We will talk to you next time. Thank you.